At the Home Depot, we have the tools for you to give the gift of a smarter home with savings on top brands like the Google Hub, a command center for your smart devices that raises the IQ of your entire home, or the Nest Learning Thermostat that helps you conserve energy and save on your bill. And if you don't know what to get, gift cards are a smart gift no matter what they get. So this year, gift smarter with savings on tools to make your holiday magic. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Hello, and welcome to Exchange Traded Fridays. It's a weekly roundup of markets and ETF news. My name is Sean Alaka. I'm editor-in-chief here at ETF.com. And with me is my colleague, managing editor, Heather Bell. Say what's up, Heather. Hey, Sean. How's it going? Good. Good morning. And today, we have a very special guest, Kathy Christie, who's heads commodity and alternative ETF products at Invesco. Good morning, Kathy. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Oh, absolutely. And Kathy's here to talk about the electric vehicle space, which seems to just always be in the headlines these days with Tesla and Elon Musk and all of that. And, and even after Tesla had kind of a poor first half of the year, I think they had a double digit pullback in the first half, shares of Tesla grew more than tenfold from the start of 2019 through today. So there's a bunch of opportunity. Obviously, they're one of the most um, most valued companies in the world, but it's much more than just Tesla. According to Bloomberg, there are currently just under 20 million passenger EVs on the road. It's about 1.5% of the global fleet. But that number is expected to grow into the hundreds of millions in the coming years, thanks to you know, just climate change concerns and, and government subsidies that are helping these projects along. So there's a lot of opportunity and just the popularity of the cars themselves. I mean, when, when I first got in one, it was an Uber, and I think it was like a year ago or something. And it, it wasn't a Tesla; it was like a Ford or something. But honestly, I felt like I was in the future. It was like I felt like I was in like a Jetsons like flying car. There was like no engine noise. The cars are just so quiet. It's it's pretty neat, honestly. And Kathy, maybe you can kick us off a bit about why Invesco, you know, decided to to kind of focus on EVs in the space, and you know, what are some of the opportunities? And I know Heather has a ton of questions. She's going to dive into some some of the weeds a little bit about some of the specifics on, on these funds and how they work and how they operate. But maybe you could just give us an overall view of, of what you're seeing in this space. Sure, Sean. And I loved how you started with Tesla because a lot of investors who believe in this build out of this these EV fleets, right, this move to decarbonize, like the traditional investor would buy Tesla, right, to express that view. But or they would look at battery manufacturers or other companies along this value chain. But what is the one thing that all these companies have in common? It's the metals that are used to make this finished product, like the nickel, the copper, the aluminum, the cobalt, like the lithium. So that's why we launched a product um, and the ticker's EVMT for electric vehicle metals. And it was really important for us to say to those investors, yeah, we get it. We understand why you believe in this sector because a lot of things are pointing to this big move to decarbonize. And it makes sense, right? Our governments are pushing us. Society is pushing us. We need to decarbonize. But, you know, it's like, how do you choose which company to buy, which manufacturer to buy? Like a lot of the auto companies are part EV, part regular ICE vehicles, internal combustion engine. Everyone at the end of this podcast, you know what ICE stands for. Um, but this is important to, to actually access those metals, those components that are going into these electric vehicles. But I love some of the stats that you threw out as well. I love there's one like by 2025, it's estimated that plug-in vehicles will represent 23 
5% of new passenger vehicle sales globally, right? And, mm. and we were just under 10% in 2021. And I think the big winner here has been China. So China's already at 26 right now um, in terms of new um, vehicles purchased, what percent are EVs, but they're estimated to go up to like 39%. So we're sort of behind here in the US. We really need to make an effort to catch up here. Yeah, and we just saw that out of California, I think, right? Yes. Didn't they have some kind of legislation? Was it by 2025 as well, right? 2035, yeah. That's where I think society, governments, we're all going to be pushed to help, to do our part to decarbonize and to reduce the effects of climate change, right? And what is it, one of the biggest um, emitters um, and the harming the climate is all of our driving, right? The driving with fossil fuels. Kathy, I was reading on Invesco's fund page for EVMT that it's designed to outperform the index that is associated with it, the one that, you know, the index that determines the commodities that it can hold. How do you aim to achieve that outperformance? Like what factors do you consider? What do you look at when you're aiming to beat the index? That way? Right. So just the index itself, the index was created by S&P. So the actual name of the index is the S&P GSCI Electric Vehicle Metals Index, right? And it was designed to truly reflect what goes into an electric vehicle. So the weights are like nickel, 34%, copper, 30%, aluminum, 21%, cobalt, 9%, and iron ore. And when you think hear iron ore, think steel, but 6%. The one missing commodity is lithium. But right now, lithium commodity futures are not a liquid enough market. So that's why this index is going to be reviewed every six months in January and July. And so we are hoping and expecting that S&P will be adding lithium as soon as it's liquid enough. But the, the question you asked is specifically around like outperforming the index. And that's a really important factor in this ETF because because it is actively managed by our rock star portfolio uh, managers. I'm big fans of these guys. And so they are allowed to overweight or underweight the different components that I just mentioned. And they can also go further out the commodity futures curves. So a lot of people who invest in commodities will know those phrases like contango and backwardation, but these commodities have forward curves. So they will be looking at those forward curves and factoring in some of their fundamental analysis, but also liquidity to try and figure out where to be along this curve to try and produce some alpha, right? And also, you know, they, these commodity portfolio managers are experts in commodities. They have an average experience of 20 years. And so they've lived in this world for so long and they actively study these commodities. Um, so trying to overweight and underweight will become important um, as the, you know, we, time goes by. And, you know, again, industrial metals, like they, they move, right? And so they will be trying to outperform this index as we go forward. With assigning the weightings to the different commodities, is it all a consideration of supply and demand or does production play into that? Yeah, well, let's just look to the different commodities, right? So I think I mentioned too that the one with the highest weight is nickel, right? And nickel is used in like lithium ion batteries and actually automakers are trying to increase the amount of nickel they use because they can substitute some of the high cost cobalt for the cheaper nickel, right? And so nickel 
biggest weight, then copper. So copper, I love this phrase because copper basically is the heart and veins of an electric vehicle, right? So think about through every part of the EV, you have copper. It's in the motor, the batteries, the inverters, the wiring, um, and the charging stations, right? So it's really important copper be a big part of this index because we there's four times as much copper in an EV versus an ice. Um, and then aluminum. Aluminum is important for the light weighting part of the vehicle, right? Because we reducing the weight um, is really important in an EV to have energy efficiency um, and, you know, for the battery um, time. So this is really important to have um, uh, the aluminum in there to lightweight the vehicle. Um, and cobalt, I remember when S&P was first creating the index, right? Gosh, cobalt, some people really don't like that cobalt, you know, most of the productions from the DRC, like, do we have to have cobalt in there? And like, absolutely, because cobalt is basically to maintain the stability of an electric vehicle to prevent it from overheating. So it's a nice way of saying, if you don't want your EV to burst into flames, you need cobalt in there, right? So that's why it's an important part of this index. And lastly, like the iron ore. Again, iron ore is a frustrating one, but it is steel. It's used in making steel. When you're making a vehicle, it is made with steel. So even though we didn't love the fact that iron ore is in there, it's important because it's part of this vehicle. And as I said, we want to add lithium. But remember, the supply and demand of these commodities are affected by a lot of things. So there's, you know, some frustrations when, you know, some of the commodities are going down, even though this electric vehicle move has been really pronounced and is growing. But yeah, again, a lot of what's been going on for these metals is um, the story about China, right? So we have China lockdowns and China's the biggest buyer of commodities globally. Their lockdowns really impacted some of these industrial metals. At some point, China will be reopening, right? And so that's why we really wanted to talk about this product because we see this potentially as a great buying opportunity in this sector. Because as we look to the future, it's all about EVs. But again, we need to factor in pricing. You want to buy something when it's not expensive. And that's what it looks like right now for the, some of these components. That's good. And what what is your take on, on the iron ore and the steel? You talked a little bit about cobalt and, and the DRC. Where do you kind of get most of this steel? How does that play into it? And, and kind of why were, were you not so thrilled to have that in the index? Just because it is such a China-based commodity. Um, and so it really, it, the focus on iron ore is on China demand. Um, and so you know, we really do want China to reopen. I think the globe wants China to reopen. You know, they have a zero tolerance policy, so we respect that. But an iron ore has been impacted by these lockdowns. But again, it's important to be in there. Um, so we accept that. And I think that um, some of the other components, right, um, copper, copper is the one I find the most interesting because it takes a lot of time to develop a copper mine, right? So the average lead time from discovery to production, believe it or not, is like 16 years. And there are no new copper discoveries expected to be operational in the next three years. And so, you know, if we look at nickel too, so nickel, their estimated lead time is almost 20 years. It is really important to invest in this sector. So, um, and also just the demand, right? Demand for copper is expected to increase more than 50% between now 
in 2040, all due to this transportation demand. So right now, copper is mostly used for construction demand, but this shift is happening now and it will continue to happen over time. This shift where it's going to be, you know, more than 50% of the copper is used for transportation versus construction. And again, with some of the other um, components, in order to keep like supply and demand in balance for like nickel and cobalt, we need a range of approaches to that from the governments, from the automakers, from the cell manufacturers, the miners, and the recyclers, right? They need to work together because we need new technology, we need widespread recycling and investment in new mining and metals refining capacity. And remember, part of this whole EV story is the charging infrastructure, right? The US, we are so behind with that. I Anecdotally, my son was at college and one of his roommates' fathers bought him a Tesla and the poor kid couldn't charge the Tesla. He had to drive half an hour to a really bad part of town just to charge his Tesla. So he very quickly gave that car back to his dad. But like in the US, you know, we are facing one of the most difficult challenges and we're required, we have a six-fold increase that we need in public charging installations over the next four years compared to 2021. And another factor is just the smelting of the metals, right? So, you know, we have to like alumina gets smelted into aluminum and nickel also is part of that smelting process. And to smelt these industrial metals, you need power, right? And natural gas has become extremely expensive due to the war in Ukraine. So we are seeing historic high levels in Europe and in Asia. So some of these aluminum and nickel smelters are being shut down or curtailed. So hopefully things will sort themselves out and these extreme natural gas prices um, will normalize. But right now, this is a concern about shortages for any of these industrial metals that need to be smelted. I had just read that during the pandemic, material costs for electric vehicles had doubled. And you're talking about all this potential growth that lies ahead. How much runway do these commodities have going forward, in your opinion? So that is a big frustration. And you'll hear it from the EV manufacturers. There's more demand for these vehicles than supply. Personally, I travel to the Middle East for my job, you know, because I'm always talking about oil and things like that. And after getting back from the Middle East and my concerns about oil prices and gasoline prices, I was like, okay, I need, I need to go buy an electric vehicle. And I went to one of the places and they said, oh, we're, we'll let you test drive this and we can put you on a wait list for one year, right? And I thought, whoa, this is a big problem. And it is because of this, you know, we, and we all knew it was happening, but remember a lot of these um, commodities are used for other things or, you know, they're, they're hard to, as I said, get out of the ground, but they need a lot of lead time. So there are concerns about some of these industrial metals not having enough for this revolution for the EVs. But that's why I think that some of this regulatory acts that are coming in, like this Inflation Reduction Act, right? Now they're providing tax credits for people who buy these electric vehicles, but a percentage of that vehicle, like it has to be produced in the U.S. or in a country that has friendly relationships with the U.S., like, you know, trading partners. So this big move in hopefully will give enough money for this infrastructure to be built out. But it takes two things, time and money, right? So we are in a race 
to catch up here in the US to develop the right infrastructure. Um, but in the meantime, as we said, for investors, it makes sense to own some of these components. It's a great way to play this idea of the scarcity of some of the components that go, you know, again, to build out this whole electric vehicle infrastructure. Yeah, that actually leads into a question that I had about the scarcity, really. When you talked about the mining and that it could take 20 years of lead time and things like that. And obviously we, we touched on, you know, the, the war in in Ukraine and what that's done with some of these commodity prices, but how much is there a problem? Like how much of these metals that take to go into electric, I mean, into electric vehicles, is there a scarcity problem? Does that play into the future and kind of um, the outlooks on some of these and the expectations for them? Like, is there enough of these materials to, to really go around? So right now it all depends on how how quickly all of these electric vehicles are needed. But based on estimates, yes, there's concerns like particularly in nickel, as I mentioned, nickel has the biggest weight that we will have a deficit of nickel by 2024. Right. Okay. That's right around the corner. Yes, there is a lot of concern about scarcity. And as I said, right now, when we're worried about scarcity, we have smelters shutting down because if you're an aluminum smelter and your cost for power is more than what you can sell your aluminum for at this point it's like 90% of the cost like you, it doesn't make economic sense to produce this commodity so that's why the commodity prices are adjusting so yes do we need to build out yes but again time and money there is some pushback too on some of the um, environmental impacts so and i think too like you look at copper the two areas that produce copper right Peru and Chile. So Chile, we've had this crazy weather. So they've had major droughts, water shortages, right? And they need water to extract the copper. And Peru, some of the government there is saying, well, let's add other taxes on top of that, which makes it less financially rewarding for the extractors of the commodity. So there are a lot of issues here in the supply chain. And that's why I love that when some of the regulators and the government get involved, sometimes they they incentivize the right people, right? The miners and to have have it as much in the U.S. as we can. So I think that will be key in the future. That's interesting. It's, it's interesting to dive down the kind of the chain a little bit, the supply chain, how deep that goes, how many things, it's almost like, you know, the butterfly effect of one thing right. somewhere having such an impact on others. But um, I was wondering, like, with the scarcity thing, is that like an advantage to some of the investments? I mean, obviously, with scarce demand, I mean, there'll be more demand for these. So is there a way to kind of play that as well? Or is it generally not going to be a good thing for the industry? No, I, the way to play it is by owning a product like EVMT, right? Because we own the metals, right? So we're not a Tesla. We're not a battery manufacturer. We have, you know, all of these metals. And that's why I'd say to investors, if you believe in this EV story, if you are, you think that it's going to grow the way a lot of us um, believe, then it makes sense to own the actual components that go into the electric vehicles. And as I said, as well as the charging stations, right? And I think too, after the midterm elections, I think there'll be a lot of this administration's doubling down of like, we need to fight climate change. Let's go all in and let this be legacy for this administration of pushing this energy transition. And so I think that over the next two years, we're going to see exponential growth in this area. And what better way to play that than by owning the actual components that go in and the combined story of scarcity. And you're starting to see that, as we mentioned at the top um, in California, you're starting to have some, some kind of regulation come out there to push this forward. But I want to ask you too about the environmental concerns. And I, I don't know how much I, I read into this as much, but I know I have heard that sometimes the environmental impacts of some of these minings, for example, and, and things like that actually have negative 
impacts on the environment in, in certain regions. And I don't know how much truth of that, or is that a concern for you and you know in, in terms of these metals? I also, when I was kind of prepping for this call, went on the EPA, I think, and I said that was one of the big myths actually around EVs was that the mining of these metals is actually harmful to the environment. Does that play at all? Is that a concern for you guys? Absolutely. And that is a great question. But it's this whole short-term pain versus long-term gain. And that's right. We're always, any sort of ESG investing, you have to um, do this like balancing act, right? So let's talk about, so the short-term, right? The short-term, as I mentioned, this smelting process. The smelting process is very pollutive. As I said, it uses a lot of energy and the actual process is pollutive. The extracting, right? You know, people don't like, you know, the DRC and cobalt and how it's you know removed from the ground and just transporting these metals, right? To get them all to the right place to build the electric vehicles. So these are all harmful to the environment. And it is it's tragic, but it is almost like again, this short-term, you know, disadvantage to have a long-term advantage. And I think it was one of the banks did like this assessment of like, at what point does the vehicle, the EV, like truly become like carbon neutral? And they said, you have to own it for like three years and not be buying like the fossil fuels to just sort of negate any of this impact to the environment. But again, we all need to focus on decarbonizing our planet with our goal to fight climate change, right? And the environmental benefits of shifting all of these fleets to EVs, I believe, far outweighs this like localized impact of mining the metals, you know, that are included in this product EVMT. So it takes three years for every car to actually then start benefiting or being better for the environment. Right, to reach that like carbon neutral. And so anything that's hurting the environment that's happening in the process of making that electric vehicle. I know that EVMT is the only fund that offers exposure to cobalt futures, but I've also read that they're kind of like trying to phase cobalt out of the process as much as possible because of, I guess, scarcity issues and the environmental impact too, as you've mentioned. What do you see as like the future for that particular commodity in the index? So that's the beauty of this S&P index being reviewed and rebalanced every six months. So the components in this index are supposed to truly reflect what's going into these electric vehicles globally, right? So if we solve some of the cobalt issues, right, and we use less cobalt, that will be reflected in this index. And we wanted that. This technology is changing literally every day. And so we want our product to truly reflect what's going on in the real world. And that's why, like I said, every six months, it will be reviewed and rebalanced. And so right now we cap cobalt at 10%. When we were first creating the, um, we were working with S&P, they said if it was uncapped, it would be 20%, have a 20% weight. So we've capped it at 10. And again, as I said, if we add lithium, and um, when we add lithium, that will also be capped. But we want this index to truly reflect what the changing technology in this sector. And hopefully it will going forward. That is certainly the goal. And we don't want the cars to explode, like you said, without Exactly. That's, that's what I said. Like, let's take cobalt out. They're like, uh-uh, no yeah. can do. So that's interesting. I didn't know. I actually learned a lot in this conversation. And Thanks so much, Kathy. Anything else to, to wrap with before we we'll let you go? I just think it's important that anyone who believes in this movement, right? Um, as I said, I'm on the list now to get my EV. And I think that the 
the traditional way of just buying Tesla, I don't think that's the right play. I think trying to own the commodities that go into mm-hmm. building these vehicles and the infrastructure around it, i.e. like the charging stations, I think that's a more direct play. And, you know, we're happy to talk to investors who want to discuss further, you know, any more details about this product, but we greatly appreciated your interest, yeah. guys. Thank you oh, so much. Absolutely. And really quickly too, why do you think that is the better play really quickly before we go? Like you're playing, like they always say, like, you know, in the gold rush, they didn't go for the gold they went for the picks and and the jeans or whatever i get that question all the time in energy like oh energy equities versus buying actual crude oil it's a more pure play because when you buy an equity you also get equity beta right and you get like management risk right with people you know talking about elon musk like they love him or they hate him right and so that is expressed sometimes in the stock price and just the beta of stocks moving up and mm-hmm. moving down right it removes that noise when you invest directly in the actual commodity that is used to create the end yeah, product no good point thanks so much Kathy. that was a blast i learned a lot and listeners will as well uh, my pleasure thanks for having me well we'll leave it right there with Kathy. you heard it first thanks for listening to Exchange Traded Fridays from ETF.com. If you liked it, go to your favorite podcast app, search for Exchange Traded Fridays. We'll be there from myself, my colleague Heather, and our very special thanks to Kathy Anavesco for coming on board. Thanks everyone for listening and we will catch you next week. Take care, guys. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.